through verse 7. The book of Nahum, the first chapter, verses 2 through 7. <clears throat> it says, God is jealous, and the Lord revengeth. The Lord revengeth and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserveth wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm and in the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebuketh the sea and maketh it dry and drieth up all the rivers. Bashan languisheth and Carmel and the flower of Lebanon languisheth. The mountains quake at him and the hills melt and the earth is burned uh, at his presence. Yea, the world and all that dwell therein. Who can stand before his indignation? And who can abide in the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trusted in him. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. We want to think on this thought, the last part of the seventh verse. He knoweth them that trusted in him, or that trust him. As we look into the book of Nahum this morning, we realize that this is a message to the city of Nineveh. This is a city, the city of Nineveh, you remember, is the city in which that the Lord spoke unto Jonah and said, I want you to go unto this city and prophesy to preach unto it. And as he started away from the presence of the Lord, you remember how that God caused him to uh, be, go down to a ship or permitted him to go down to a ship. When he went on board the ship and was sailing toward Tarsus, the Lord caused a great wind to come. The ship was almost to be sunk whenever that the mariners woke Jonah up and told him to call on his God and that he revealed unto him, said, I am the cause of this troubled sea. And so they cast him overboard, and God had prepared a great fish. Matthew says it was a whale who came and swallowed up Jonah, and he was down in the belly of the whale for three days and nights. And then God spoke unto the fish, and the fish vomited him out on dry land. And God said, Now I want you to go and preach against Nineveh. Now Jonah did not refuse or did not want to go because of the fact that the people of Nineveh were an exceeding great wicked people. They were a people who, when they captured somebody, they were as cruel as anybody might think of. They would take and tear up the women. They would destroy the babies. They were cruel. They would literally tear the people uh, to pieces with their hands. And Jonah knew that if they conquered the city or the people of Israel, that they would do the same thing to them. He didn't want to go to them. And at the preaching of Jonah, we see the city of Nineveh repents. They, in a form or at a time, turned away from their wickedness, and the king said for everyone to put on sackcloth and ashes on their head to humble themselves, for who can tell, maybe God will be merciful to us. Now this repentance was only for a little while. We see later on, and in this book, that God pronounces judgment upon them. And in this book, we see no hope for them whatsoever. Their wickedness has come up before the Lord. But we see now in the verse 9 of this same chapter, in the last part, he says, He will make an utter end. Affliction shall not rise up the second time. God says, I'm not going to give you another opportunity. 
that you might come and that you might act uh, displeasing unto me. And so God's not going to give them another chance. They were like we might think of the Epicureans in the time of the Apostle Paul. Their theory was, let's eat, drink, and be merry. Tomorrow we're going to die. Just live for today. There's no concern about what's going to happen tomorrow. And as we look at this, we realize that this people would go right back into their sins the same way that they had done before. And I believe we get a picture of this, of people like the people of Nineveh in the book of 2 Peter, the second chapter and verse 22. He says, But it is happened unto them according to the true proverb. The dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. You see, God says, I'm going to destroy them. I'm going to deal with them. They're not going back the second time and make a fool out of God, as we might think. They, he says that they do not have a second chance. Now, there are people today who would make us to believe that they're Christians. On the outside, maybe they've cleaned up their lives. But down on the inside, down in there where God alone can look, he sees those who trust in him, and he knows those who are not trusting in the Lord. He knows what's in your heart today, whether you be a member of Big Bone Baptist Church or whether you're not. God knows what's in your heart. The Lord knows them who trust in him. I'd like to look in this very first chapter, as we read to you a few minutes ago, look at God for just a little bit. The God who knows all things. The scripture raises the question in one place, who has given God counsel? Who has instructed God? Nobody. Nobody knows enough to be able to instruct God. But we can read from the word of God here some of the things concerning God. In the second verse, the first few words here, he says, God is jealous. God is jealous. Now as we look at this, God has a right to be jealous. There are things that have happened to him that gives him grounds in which that he should be jealous. Now, where there's no grounds, I've heard people say, well, I've never given anybody, a husband or wife, I've never given them any grounds where they should be jealous. But we can't say this about God because if we read in the Scripture, it teaches us that God is married or was married to an adulterous wife. Over in the book of Jeremiah, the third chapter, and verse 8, he says, And I saw when for all cause whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I have put her away and given her a bill of divorcement. And yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went and played the harlot also. So we can see Israel, the wife of God, that he says that she has played the part of the harlot also. And down in the 14th verse, or the 13th verse rather, he says, Only acknowledge thine iniquities, that thou hast transgressed against the Lord thy God, and hast scattered thy way to the strangers, even or under every green tree. And ye have not obeyed my voice, saith the Lord. Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord. For I am married unto you, and I will take you one of a city, two of a family, and will bring you to Zion. And so we see that 
Israel, God's chosen one, God, the one whom he has made for his own, has played the part of a harlot, has gone out. Now there are times in which that the act of adultery may be committed. <clears throat> but here as we see it, we see one who is practicing harlotry. And this can be by the hour. This can be by the day or by the week. And so here, all through the history of Israel, we see them as they have practiced adultery. They have practiced harlotry, whoredom, if you please. And so here we see God is jealous. And then also we bring it up to today, a time in which that Christianity, so-called Christians today, many of them know not the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, but there are many who do know him and who are not faithful unto God. We read in the book of Ephesians, starting in the first or the fifth chapter and through the 21st verse there on through the rest of the chapter, that I call your attention especially to verse 32. He says, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. He points out the love that they are to have for a woman for her husband, a husband for his wife. And he points out this, and as he goes on and declares this, that he might present his church unto him, spotless, glorious church, without wrinkle, without blemish, that he's going to present it unto himself. He says, I speak concerning Christ and the church. Now, as we look at it, I believe we're in the day that we might call the courtship days of the Lord. We have the marriage has not actually taken place as yet, the marriage of the Lamb. But we're in the time of courtship. And during the time of courtship, there is no faithfulness on the part of the church today. Very little, if any. There are very few who are faithful unto God. Now, I don't know where you can find a body of people that every one of them that are faithful unto God. We have a few in this church. We have a few in another church and another church that will go to make up the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ that he will be married to. But yet we see them today, many of them, who are having affairs with the world. They're living in open sin with other denominations of the world. They're joining together in the National Council of Church. The National Council of Churches joining together in the World Council of Churches. All of them making together one great church. I believe that you'll find that this is the groundwork of the great church that is uh, to be in the book of the Revelation. One great big church that's riding on the back of the government. One day it's going to be overthrown and the government's going to laugh at them. We see that there are those in these churches that are not saved. And the churches will go on after the rapture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And many of them, and some of you, perhaps if the Lord should come today, would still be left here in Big Bone Baptist Church. The reason for this is that you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. I'm convinced that we have church members right here under the sound of my voice today who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ and God does not know them. Now you think about it. You know how you stand. 
before God. And I believe that as we see today, there are people that say, well, I can't see anything wrong with going out here and worshiping with this denomination, with that denomination, and that denomination. Brother, you can't do it with a group of people who do not know the Lord as their personal Savior. If they, do, if they believe the doctrine of the churches that they're a member of, they're lost. Because many of them do not teach and preach salvation by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the book of Ephesians tells us this very thing, that we are saved by grace through faith. And if you add anything to it, it is not grace. It is not salvation. And so how can I go out here and I fellowship with a people who doesn't know my Lord and say, why, they're just as good as we are. They're going to heaven the same way we are. They're not going if they teach this, if they believe what's being taught in their churches. Because your good works is not going to save you. You can work all you want to, and if there's any works in salvation, it no longer is by grace. Because grace is no work whatsoever in it. Church membership won't save you. And you have people who actually believe. If you're not a member of our church, you're going to die and go to hell. That's not so. You can join all of the churches. And you can conform to their instructions and still be lost and go to hell. It's time that we wake up to the fact of what it is to be saved. I believe that people don't know the plan of salvation, and that's the reason that many of them make statements like this. We are all headed to the same place. We'll all go when Jesus comes back. But if you've not been born again, you've not experienced salvation by the grace of God, you're not going. This is some of the things that we see in these world churches and World Council of Churches, this is, uh, I believe, the same thing that we saw just a little bit of it in our youth in, out in Texas last year, Expo 72. They're getting ready for another big thing like this in 73. And I'll tell you what, there's some of those that you are followers of, many of you, maybe write to them. You say, well, this is all right, and I'll tell you one of them that put his approval upon it. I, I can't accept it. I couldn't have anything to do with it. And that's none other than Billy Graham. A lot of you think, oh, he's a great preacher, and we'll do what he says. But I tell you, he's destroying the pillar and the ground of the truth. He's not lifting up the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, you, you'll get Some of you get mad at me. I know you will, but I, you'll have to take and go back to the Word of God. And you say, the Scripture says, if the pillar and the ground, the ground of truth be destroyed, then we don't have anything. And the Scripture says the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. We've got to have somebody who lift up the church. You look at the great Spurgeon Tabernacle in England, you'll find a group of people of around 80 to 100 meeting together there. Charles Haddon Spurgeon was a great preacher, but he wasn't a church preacher. And as a result of it today, it's a meeting house, and they have a building there, and there's a few people, but there's very few. He used to pack the building with five, six, seven thousand 7,000 people and preach to them. Sunday after Sunday. But he didn't lift up the church, the local church. He didn't preach this. And as a result of it, when the man moved off of the scene, then the church died. Because it was built upon him, basically. There are few that still stand and few still stay there. But the church just went down because they were not taught the truths of the church. And so we today, we need to recognize that we're in the last days. We need to see, recognize these things that are around about us.
You say, well, Billy Graham preaches a good sermon. He does. He preaches some fine sermons. But he ruins his testimony when he doesn't stand for anything. It's more than just preaching the gospel. We need to be identified with the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has a right to be jealous. And also we find that the Lord revenges. The Lord will not let them get by. God, one day, he's going to, we might think of, he's going to get even with them. We saw what happened to Israel. We saw them when they turned away from God time and time and time again. They wouldn't listen. When the prophets of God would come and preach to them. You remember old Amos when he preaches to them. He said, now Amaziah, who was their pastor, as we think in Bethel, he went to the king and said, we're going to have to get rid of this man. Amos came more or less as we think of an evangelist. And he said, now Amos, don't you prophesy in the king's chapel anymore. We don't want to hear it. He'll not listen to us. Amos, if you want to prophesy, you go somewhere else. We read over in the book of Micah where that it says that they said, prophesy not. We don't want to hear what you have to say anymore. Brother, we're coming to that day today. People don't want to hear the word of God. Let's do it the way we want to rather than listening to the word of God. God says that he'll get revenge. We saw Israel to be scattered throughout the world. We see the Jewish people, one country, they were beaten, they were persecuted. Here's a war more or less declared on them, said let's destroy them. We look back in World War II when the Jews had to flee out of Germany. They're not welcome in Russia. They're not welcome in Italy. You look at this, God now has brought them back together to complete the end time. You look at these things, God says that he's going to have revenge. God's going to work this thing out. He's going to deal with them. We also realize that it's not your place and mine that we're to work it out and to get even for him. Because the scripture tells us in the book of Hebrews, in the 10th chapter in verse 30, 31, he says, For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, and I will recompense, saith the Lord, and again the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Yes, God knows. God's going to get revenge. And then also we read in this passage of Scripture that he says that the Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries, those that are opposed to him. And those of you that are here without Jesus Christ this morning, you're his enemies. You're enemies of God. That's what he says, that I was an enemy before I come to know the Lord as my personal Savior. And you're an enemy without Jesus Christ. Now the Lord says in the third verse, the Lord is slow to anger and of great power. God doesn't just up and do something in a hurry. A lot of times I do it. I do something and I, I think, well, I wish I hadn't. I wait. I wait a little while. I won't do it many times. God's not slow to anger. God doesn't get angry in a hurry. God knows both ends of this thing. He has it worked out. And he knows it from A to Z. And he knows every motive. He knows the intent of the heart. He knows all. And he's slow. He doesn't get angry in this respect. And then also he says that his great power. We find that the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, that he made this statement in Matthew in the uh, 28th chapter and the 18th verse. We read this. and He says, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And so God that knows the one that trusts in him, all power 
which was given unto me, unto his Son, in heaven and in earth. And so the God who knows the one who trusts in him, he has all power on heaven and on earth. And then notice another thing about this in our passage of Scripture that we read to you in Micah, or rather not in Micah, but in, in, in Nahum. He says, and will not at all acquit the wicked. God says that he's not going to, by any means, declare them not guilty. Because where they are guilty, God says they're going to remain that way. God says, I'm not going to throw this thing out of court. No way. He's not going to dismiss the charges. I hear every day somebody who has been accused or has been brought to trial, the judge listens to part of the case and somebody else's part, then directly he says, I've dismissed the thing, not even going to fool with it. It's not worthwhile. But you know there's not one thing that God's going to throw out of court. Here's something else that many times we see, and that is that people plead mental insanity, a temporary insanity. They say, oh, they were out of their mind. But brother, God knows exactly whether they're out of their mind or whether they aren't. God is not going to acquit any, none whatsoever. Every case is going to be tried, going to stand before God. Then another thing as we read on this, in the fourth through the fifth verses, he says, he rebuketh the sea and maketh it dry and drieth up all the rivers. And also up in the fifth part of the third verse, the Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. I want you to know this. You all maybe already know it. But I want you to realize that God has control of nature. It, 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 it makes me to feel sorry for people who try to hide from God. My mother's one that way. I, I feel sorry for her. She has a fear. Every time it comes up a rain or a storm, boy, she gets down in the basement, she hides. Now, you know what? I, I wouldn't want to do that. I can tell you some things about it, but I won't. She's all come over here. You, you ask her about it, and she'd be fussing at me. But here's why. There's people who actually think they can hide and get away from God. You know what? If, if God wanted to, he could blow that house off of the, the foundation and he could cause it to rain so hard that the water would come in and fill up that old basement, and she'd drown down there if God was ready to do it. Now, you think about it. You can't hide. You can't get away from God. God controls all of these things. People today, they talk about uh, tornadoes hitting, and it seems like that they just dip down and they hit one place, or a cyclone, they'll hit in one place, and then they'll move up and hit somewhere else. Well, why does this happen? I'll tell you why. Because God controls it. You see one farmer that his whole crop is swept away in his barn and his house and he loses everything. The next farm right beside it, almost across the fence, it just blows the grass a little bit. It raises up, carries it away. And people say, well, I just don't understand it. I understand it. I'll tell you what it is. It's the hand of God that he is seeking revenge and God getting it. God's dealing with it. And I tell you, it's a dangerous thing. Because God knows the ones that trust in him. He knows us, brother. He knows where we are. He knows when we're backslidden. He knows when to put the pressure on us to bring us out of our hiding. It's just like some of you who are hunters, trappers. You know how to blow smoke in a fox or a rabbit's hole to smoke him out. You know just how much he can take. But he gets ready and you know how to stop up one end of the hole, blow that smoke in, he's got to come out this way. You see, God knows just how to deal with us. 
He knows those who trust in Him. I'll tell you something else that we can show you from the Word of God. God knows how, and He controls these things. He knows how to send the rain. He knows how to, uh, to cause one uh, farm to be destroyed and another one not. Even in the book of Daniel, we read there, in the time in which that the three Hebrew children failed to refuse to bow down and worship the king, and as a result of it, they said, we'll throw them into the furnace. And they said, let's heat this thing seven times hotter than it's ever been. Boy, they opened up those doors, and the men that had the three Hebrew children ready to cast them in there, the scripture says that it burned them up. The fire just engulfed them, destroyed them. These three Hebrew, Hebrew children were inside the furnace there, right in the midst of it, flames blazing around them, and it was seven times hotter than it had ever been. They looked in, kind of perhaps held their hand up there, and as they looked in, they said, well, it looks like there's four. Didn't we just put three in there? They said, well, one of them looks like the Son of Man in there. And they brought these three out, and you know what? Their hair, their whiskers wasn't even singed. Didn't even, even have smell of smoke on their clothes. How did this happen? Some of them didn't even get in the furnace, got burned up. Those that got in there, they didn't, they didn't even have smell of smoke on them. I'll tell you what it is. God dealing with them. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. We read in our Sunday school class this morning of a man and woman who was dishonest with God. They tried to get into the church and, were, and they had their names on the roll and they recognized them. I don't know whether they were saved or not, but here was a man and woman who sold their possessions and brought it and laid it at the apostles' feet, only they kept part of it back for themselves. They said, we'll not give it all. And they said, we've given all that we have. And God says, all right. Peter says, you've not lied unto us, but you've lied unto the Holy Spirit of God. And Ananias dropped down David. They took him out and buried him, and three hours later his wife came, and she lied the same way under the Spirit of God, and God struck her dead, and they took her out and buried her. And you know what the Scripture says? And fear came upon the church and those around about. Brother, when God begins to reach down and strike and take those out, fear comes upon the church. We need to recognize this. God's able to rebuke the sea. We saw in the book of Exodus where that he caused the Red Sea to dry up and like a, a glass was put in the sea and they went across on dry land. The same way when they got ready to go across the Jordan River, God caused the waters at the flood time to stand still and the children of Israel went right on across. The, the priests and all took the Ark of the Covenant and went down in the water while it was still flooded while it was still running under their feet. But when they got down in the water, God closed it off, and it was dry, so they went across on the other side. Now, Nahum raises this question in the sixth verse. He says, who can stand before his indignation? Who's going to be able to stand out here and say, God, now you don't know what you're doing. God, I'll do as I please. The answer to this is nobody is going to be able to stand against the Lord. He says, who can abide in the fierceness of his anger? When God begins to deal, who's going to be able to stand there? Nobody. God's going to just literally reach down and destroy every one of them. Nobody can do it. But look what he says in the seventh verse. He says, The Lord is a good, is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. Brother, he's a good one to hold on to. He's one that is anchored sure and steadfast. Brother, when we're anchored in him, we don't have anything at all to worry about. Now, the Lord knoweth them that trusteth in him. The Lord knows us. 
Those who are the children of God, he knows it. Those who trust in him. We know him, and he knows us. The Apostle Paul, over in the book of, of 2 Timothy, believe that it is, and in the tw- uh, 12th verse of the first chapter, he says, For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I know whom I have believed. I know him. I know the one whom I believed. I believed in Christ. I've trusted him. I know him. A lot of people read it, I know in whom I have believed. No, I know him. I know the Lord. I know whom I have believed. I know him personally. I've had an experience with him. There was no doubt. The scripture also teaches us in John's gospel, the 10th chapter and 14th verse. He says, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. I know them and they know me. And I'm thankful to God that we can know him. And this is one of the things that we can know, that we're the children of God, that we're saved. Saved people know the Lord. They know him as their personal Savior. God knows them that trust in him. We read over in the book of Acts in the 19th chapter in verse 13 through 15 that there was a time when the evil spirits and some of the Jewish people thought, well, now we will cast out devils just like Paul did in the name of Jesus Christ. But you know what? When he spoke to the devils, they said, wait a minute. said, Christ we know, Paul we know, but who are you? They didn't know him, you see. So the Lord knows those that trust in him, and those that know him, they, 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 they trust in him, they know him. They know the Lord as their personal Savior. We look in the book of Luke in the 23rd chapter, 39 through 45, we see two men who didn't know the Lord as their personal Savior. But while they were hanging on the cross, one of them came to know him. And he said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And he says, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. One who didn't know him and never came to know him, he died in his sins. And I believe that in hell today, he's still crying out and say, I believe now. I know him now. I trust him now. But it's too late now for him to accept him. He did not accept him while he was in this life. And time ran out. And in hell, he lifted up his eyes just as the rich man being in torment. Now, there are many who will say, well, I know the Lord. I know Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. But you know what? Over in the book of Matthew, in the 7th chapter, in verse 23, the Lord's going to say, Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity." The Lord's going to say, I didn't know you. They say, well, I knew you. The Lord says, I don't know you, and that's the thing that counts. I hear people today testify and talk and you listen to them on the radio oh they're thankful they praise the lord because they've trusted the lord and this and that and the other i'll tell you what i'm rejoicing in that the lord knows me not the fact that i am able to know him i do know him and this is the results of him first knowing me but if he doesn't know you brother you're on your road to an eternal hell the lord has to know you and if he knows you then you will know him Know him as your Lord and as your Savior. But these people, they said, Lord, we've cast out devil. We've prophesied in thy name. We've done a lot of good works. The Lord says, I never knew you. I didn't know you. Still don't know you. Brother Icecraft was telling the other day in chapel, said I was visiting in the hospital. And there was a lady that I visited. I talked to her. And over here in another bed was another lady. And he says, I asked her, I said, 
are, are you saved? And she said, yes, I'm saved. He says, wasn't satisfied with that answer. He says, have you been born again? And the lady said, yes, I've been born again. He says, I don't think you still quite understand what I'm talking about. Do you really know the Lord as your personal Savior? She looked at him and said, I not only know the Lord as my Savior, but my Lord knows me. He said, I, my heart was made to rejoice. I not only know the Lord, but the Lord knows me. The Lord knows them that trust in him. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also lose. Those that know not the Lord as their personal Savior, they're going to stand at the judgment seat of God, the great white throne judgment that a lot of Christians or so-called Christians rejoice in, think they're going to be there. They may be, but they're not going to be there like they think they are. But he says that the small, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. These dead are those that are not, not the children of God. Those that are dead spiritually, they're lost in sin. And then in the last verse of that chapter, he says, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. I ask you this morning, are you trusting the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Do you know him as your Lord and Savior? Let's read our text again. He knoweth them that trusteth in him. If you don't know him this morning, let me encourage you today to receive him as your personal Savior. And as you receive him, you'll not be ashamed to come and confess him before this body today. We encourage you. This is what you ought to do. This is what you will do if you trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior.